questions. Uh, you know, we all have questions in this life, uh, but probably the most inquisitive are our kids. And so I just looked up a few uh, crazy questions that kids ask, and so I have a few for you here, here today. Uh, one, uh, one mom wrote this, my, mom, uh, uh, my son asked me tonight, Mom, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I'm already doing it, I'm a mom. And he said, well, can you try to be a better mom and a mom that cooks? <laughs> uh, my kid asked me why I'm up for it and I'm down for it have the same meaning. And my attempt at an answer frustrated both of us. Um, <laughs> I like this one. My son just asked me how I know his name. I'm not in the mood today. It's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, just a couple more. My son asked me if, if the letter W starts with, a, with D and I can't stop thinking about it. That's the one, that's going to blow your mind. You're going to be thinking about it the rest of the day. Um, you know, by definition, a question is uh, something that requires an answer. And a burning question is one that leads to uh, a heated discussion. And while our kids ask a thousand of them, um, many are not too significant and not very heated. But as we get older, our questions get heavier. And many times they lead to more questions. And the discussion... Uh, starts to get hotter as well. The what-ifs lead to why and when. What if this doesn't get better? What if my greatest fear happens? Why God? When will you bring relief? Ever? When are you going to step in? These questions are a little heavier and they burn a little hotter than, Daddy, how do you know my name? I understand in the courtroom Questions are important. If a lawyer doesn't ask the right questions, then it could change the entire outcome of the case. And so today we look at some questions in the Word of God. And as I hope that we see here today, some questions are the right questions to ask, but some are not. And I wonder if maybe we are asking the wrong questions. The first burning question is found in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, so listen, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, we recommend version, And with it, you can have the Word of God at your fingertips. And uh, you can find plans to help it make sense. And uh, even follow along on our screens while you're here. And so if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you need to get one. Um, this is actually, this message is actually based on, uh, it was inspired by a plan that I started at the beginning of the year. It's just, um, it's called Classic Bible in One Year. Uh, on you version, and so it, it kind of inspired uh, the message today. Um, so, are we asking the right questions? That is our first question here today. But look at uh, Genesis 3. If you are able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God as we read first seven verses there. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, 
and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. Uh, So we get to number one on your outline. The first question in the Word of God is asked by Satan. Only three chapters in. And uh, it is, number one, a question of God's goodness. It's a question of God's goodness. It's right there in verse one. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, we know that God didn't say that. He put restrictions on one, and Eve actually knew it because she corrected the, the snake. But, but think about everything this question has behind it. This question doubts God. This question doubts his goodness, his motives. It doubts his wisdom. It doubts his truth. And church, that's exactly what every question asked by Satan will do. See, I have found, and you probably have too, that if he can get me to doubt God and his goodness and his motives and his wisdom and his truth, then he will plant as many questions in my mind as, as he can. He will, he will plant as many questions in my mind as I will allow him to. You know, the, the thing that Eve could have done is to run away so that we wouldn't be so familiar with the, the consequences of what she did. It's plain and simple. Run from Satan. She could have not talked to the snake. I like how Nikki Gumbel said this. You and I were meant to have conversations with God, not with Satan. James 4, 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, God had given Adam and Eve everything they could possibly ever want. This magnificent world The beauty of Eden, it was intended for them to enjoy. The only thing in creation that wasn't good is found in Genesis 2.18. It wasn't good for man to be alone. That need for relationship was met when God created Eve. So the intimacy of marriage, the beauty of the garden, the sweet communion with God, life was perfect, and yet they looked for more. The next blank on your outline, Satan's questions are built upon our desire for more. They're built upon our desire for more, and we know that we are all capable of giving into it. Contentment is probably the most chased after thing in our world, especially in our culture here in America. Did God really say, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? Behind that demonic question is the lie. God withholding something good from you. I wonder... If the same questions burn in our hearts sometimes. Is God withholding something good for me? See, the answer when we're here at church, it's, it's easy. We, we know he's no, not. I mean, we know, uh, just like we just saying, all of our lives he has been faithful. All of our lives he's been so, so good. His word repeatedly presents God as, with a core quality of goodness. I mean, when we're here, we know, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding, overflowing in what? What is it? Goodness. It's goodness. Yeah. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? He's good. Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. Nahum 1, 7, the Lord is what? Good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. 
And we know from James 1.17 that our good God doesn't change. Satan loves to get us to question if he does. Is God withholding something good from you? The answer is no. He completely loves you. Enough to give his son to die in your place. And his love is unconditional. His love is sacrificial. Think about this. You and I are the ones gaining by the offering of Jesus on the cross. Heaven will be more tainted and scarred with us there. But God offers it to us through his son because he loves us. He gains a bunch of sinners and we gain eternal life because of God's goodness, because of his love. See, our kids would, would love to eat candy for every meal. But we know that's not good. Our kids would love to eat McDonald's for every meal. But we know that that's not good. And in the same way, God puts restrictions on us. We see in Genesis 3, one reason why God would withhold something that we think is good is because he knows it's not. One reason why God would withhold something that we think is good is because he knows it's not. See, God knows the outcome. He knows what it will lead to, where it will lead to. He knows how one choice will affect another. We may think it's good, but he knows it's not. Because he knows everything and he can see all of human history in one moment. Another reason we see in Genesis 3 that God will withhold something good from us is because of the consequences of our sin. The consequences of our sin. As people, we tend to just want to live the way we want to live. To make choices that, that have the best outcome for us, even if it's only temporary, to indulge in whatever we want, and then expect God to come in and, and bless my life. Even if it's completely out of his will, even if we're living in sin, we tend to think that God owes me. That God has to bless me. Well, the truth is that God doesn't owe us anything. If we are in his will or if we are out of his will, he doesn't owe us anything. We can claim his promises in the word, but he doesn't owe us anything. We see throughout scripture, sin has consequences. It did for Adam and Eve. It did for David and Bathsheba. His family was messed up for, forever from, from the point of adultery forward. Sin has consequences for us as well. And we cannot expect God to bless a rebellious life. But we can't expect his discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 in the NIV says, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The church, even in that, he offers mercy. Remember, God made coverings from, from animal skins for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 21. Blood was shed. It was a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross. God is always offering mercy. God is always pointing us back to Jesus, even in the consequences, they're designed to get us to turn back to him. So if you find yourself here today, the questions about God's goodness, you may need to stop having conversations with the devil. You may need to stop listening to his incessant questions and claim the promise of James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you're tempted to ask if God is withholding something good from you, a better question is this. Um, Lord, is there anything in my life that I've brought this upon myself? Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? These are, these are better questions. We have to stop having conversations with the devil and start listening to Jesus. That's the way to overcome 
the deceptive, wrong, burning questions that Satan tries to get us to ask. So we've seen the first uh, question in the Bible. Turn over to Psalm 2. We'll come back to Genesis 3 before we're done, but uh, Psalms is full of questions. And one thing that I like most about Psalms is that Man, it shows us that our God is capable of handling the, the hard questions that, that burn in our hearts sometimes. Uh, the first question in the, in the book is found in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. And it's a question that's still relevant today. It's number 2 on your outline. It's the question of God's sovereignty. The question of God's sovereignty. Now, sovereignty is control. And Psalm 2.1 says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? So it's, it's kind of worded strangely, but the, the PJV, the Pastor Jim version of this would say, uh, why is our world so messed up? Why don't people have any purpose? God, are you in control of all of it like you say that you are? Ever wanted to ask those questions? Well, verses 2 and 3, they give us the answer, why? It's because the kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Notice that word anointed there in verse 2. It is Messiah, or in our language, it's Messiah. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm in that it points us forward to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Why is our world so messed up? Why don't people have any purpose? Because they have set themselves against Jesus the Messiah and said, we don't need any of his restraints or rules or guidance. The Apostle Paul quoted this psalm in Acts 13. And in context there, uh, God's word speaks of the cycle of rebellion of the nation of Israel. After God brought them out of Egypt in such a powerful way, they complained, they grumbled, they didn't take him at his word, they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Once they did inherit the promised land, they still rebelled. So God sent judges. When when a good judge was in charge, they'd follow his leadership, his or her leadership, and they would come back to God. But once that judge was gone, then they'd go back into the cycle of rebellion. And then God would send another judge. They would follow their leadership. They would get closer to God, but once that judge was dead, they went back in the cycle of rebellion. This went on for 450 years, and eventually they decided uh, they didn't want God to be their leader. They wanted a king just like everybody else, and so God sent Saul and then David. And the point of Paul's message in Acts 13 is that from David came the Messiah. It's the one who the Old Testament had been pointing forward to all along. The one who gives purpose. The one who came to fix this messed up world that we are in. What's messed up about each one of us. See, the first question in Psalms points to Jesus, the Messiah. That's the next blank on your outline. And so if you are here this morning and asking the same burning questions, why is my life so messed up? Why don't I have any purpose? These are right questions to ask if you will embrace the right answers. It's because of your cycle of rebellion. It's because you've tried to fix yourself on your own when only Jesus can. It's because of your need for Jesus. And I would be willing 
to guess that God has been drawing you to him for a long time. What if today is your day of salvation? If you do know him, what if today was the day that you turned back to him? That last verse in Psalm 2, it promises, Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Is, is God sovereign over all? He absolutely is. And he sent Jesus to prove it. So we see that, that Satan asked the wrong question in Genesis. Questioning God's goodness. The first question in Psalm points to Jesus. The first question in the New Testament is the same. It's found in Matthew 2. Number three on your outline, the question of God's promise. It's the question of God's promise. Matthew 2, 1 and 2 says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Right there it is. Where is the king of the Jews? These wise men were from a group of, of respected astrologers. They studied stars and writings for information about the future. They probably had the book of Daniel, the, the same one that we have. Uh, they actually quote the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, in verse 6 there of Matthew 2. And both of these books, they tell about the king of the Jews, who is Jesus. And so they followed the star to find him. Through all their studies and searching and asking questions, they knew that Jesus fulfills all of God's promises from the Old Testament. And that's why they needed to come to Bethlehem. And when Herod asked them where they would find this new king, verse 5 says, So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, the shepherds, excuse me, the, the wise men understood what we know to be true. Over and over and over again, Jesus fulfills the promises of God. Matthew 5, 17, he said this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, but I came to, dis- to fulfill them. So by their question, by the wise men's question, where is the king of the Jews? We see that they were relentless in their pursuit of Jesus. And I just wonder if we live like that. Each and every morning, shouldn't we wake up asking, okay, where's, where's the king? Jesus, I, I want to meet with you. I want to get to know you better. I want to grow closer to you. That likely doesn't describe some of us. If this story were written about us, we had a snapshot of our lives, what question do our lives ask? Do you wake up each morning asking, okay, where is the next dollar? Maybe not by your words, but by your actions, that's the question that you pursue. Or maybe, uh, where's the next high? Where's the next relationship? Do you wake up saying, where's the next whatever it is? Or do you say, where's the king? I want to meet with the king. I got, I got to talk to the king. It's a question that asks God to fulfill his promises. 
We look for so many, at so many other directions and, and things for fulfillment, but only Jesus does. I wonder what question are you asking with your life? 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in Jesus are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. See, the answer to the burning question of God's promise is Jesus. So we will end where we started in Genesis 3. We know that uh, Satan's question, he, he's already asked, asked a question, Satan has. Now notice God's first two questions. Genesis 3, 7, after Adam and Eve had sinned, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you you were naked? These are questions that God asks us. Where are you? See, he's looking for you. He wants to walk with you. But so many are hiding like Adam and Eve did. Are, are you hiding from God because of sin? Are you hiding from God because of conversations that you've had with the devil? You are not designed to have. Satan wants us to question God's character and goodness. He wants us to believe his lies. He wants us to live in shame. How many of us does Satan have exactly right where he wants us? We have all believed lies at one point or another. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? For us it could be this. Who told you you couldn't be alone? Who told you that you would be alone even if you didn't have somebody sitting right next to you? Who told you that that bottle was going to help? Who told you that more was going to be enough? Who told you you were worthless? Who told you you were a failure? Who told you that God the Father was going to be just like your earthly father? Who told you that sin was okay? Who told you that God can't or won't forgive you? Who told you that you can't forgive someone else? The answer to these questions and so many other questions is Satan. We all believe his lies from time to time. When we do, we question God's goodness, we question his sovereignty, we question his promises. I wonder if you've been burning with questions like these today. Maybe you're asking the wrong ones. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? We go into a time of invitation. Our instrumentalists come. You're burning with some of these questions about God. And you're questioning his goodness and his sovereignty. Maybe a better question to ask would be, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? 
Lord, is there anything in my, in my life that have, have brought consequences of sin that I'm just not seeing, Lord, that you want to correct and you want to make right in my heart? Those, these are better questions to ask rather than questioning his goodness, love, and his mercy, and sovereignty. Thankful for God's word and how it, it speaks to our hearts well beyond what the messenger says. That's the Holy Spirit in your heart. What's he saying to you? Lord, we, we just invite you to come. And Lord, we know that it is a reality. We have asked the wrong questions often. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me when I ask the wrong questions. Lord, help us to ask the right questions. Lord, wherever each one is in their hearts this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would meet us here, meet us there. Don't let us stay there, Lord. Lord, give us that desire to want to know you more. Where's the king? Help us to identify what needs to happen in order to live our lives like that. Lord, be with us now. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I've just titled it Burning Questions. And if you think about it, uh, we all have questions. And the most inquisitive among us are probably our kids. So I looked up a few of the um, just questions that kids ask. And maybe you've heard something like this. Uh, one mom writes this. Um, my son asked me tonight, Mom, what do you want to be when you grow up? She said, I'm already doing it. I'm a mom. And he says, well, can you try better and be a mom that cooks? Valid question, right? Um, one dad wrote this, uh, my kid asked me uh, why I'm up for it and I'm down for it have the same meaning and my attempt at an answer frustrated both of us. So maybe you guys could explain that. Um, <laughs> I like this one. My son just asked me how I know his name. I am not in the mood today. That was the parent's rest of the reply. I am not in the mood today. Um, this one may blow your mind. I, my son asked me if the letter W starts with D, and I can't stop thinking about it. You'll, you'll be thinking about that the rest of the day. So, so does S start with an E? Oh, yeah, we never thought about that, did we? Uh-huh. By definition, a question is something that requires an answer. And a burning question is one that leads to heated discussion. Now, when we're kids... We have thousands of them. Uh, many are not that significant, but as we get older, questions get heavier, and many times our questions lead to more questions, and the discussion gets hotter. The what-ifs, they lead to why and when. What if this doesn't get better? What if my greatest fear happens? Why God? When are you going to step in and do something? See, those, those burn a little bit hotter than, Daddy, how do you know my name? I understand in the courtroom, it, the questions are important. And if a lawyer doesn't ask the right ones, then it could affect the entire outcome of the case. 
Well, there are many questions found in God's Word, and as I hope to see here today, some of them are the right questions to ask, but some are not. And I wonder if we have been asking the wrong questions. Our first question is found in Genesis 3, so however you prefer, you can be turning there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, we recommend version. Everybody should have a Bible app on their phone. With it, you can, you can uh, read the Word of God. It can be at your fingertips. You can find plans to help it make sense. And you can actually follow along our screens uh, while you're here at the services. Um, actually, this, this message here today was inspired by um, one, of the, one of the plans I'm, I'm actually currently going through. It's just called Classic Bible in One Year on the Version app. And so uh, if you need something to, to get deeper into the Word, that is a great resource to have. So the question today is, are we asking the right questions? If you would, if you're able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God as we read Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So the first question in in the entire Bible, it's only three chapters in, it's asked by Satan. And it's number one on your outline. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find an outline of, of, our, of the message here today. It's a question of God's goodness. It's a question of his goodness. Right there in verse one, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, now we know that God didn't say that. He did put restrictions on one, and even Eve knew because she corrected him. But think about what, it, what lies behind that question. This, questions, this question, it doubts God. It, it doubts his, his goodness. It doubts his motives. It doubts his wisdom. It doubts his truth. And that's exactly what every question asked by Satan will do. See, if, if he can get you and me to, to doubt God's goodness and motives and wisdom and truth, then he's going to plant as many questions in our minds as we will allow him to. As many questions as he can. Now we know that, that the one thing that Eve should have done was to run away from Satan. It's plain and simple. She should, she should have just ran from Satan and not even had a conversation with him. I like how Nikki Gumbel said it. You and I were meant to have conversations with God, not with Satan. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, God, God had given Adam and Eve everything 
they could possibly ever want. This magnificent world, the beauty of Eden, it was intended for them to enjoy. The only thing that wasn't good in the whole creation account was that Adam was alone. And God took care of that by giving him as a helper. The need for relationship was met. The intimacy of marriage, the beauty of the garden, the sweet communion with God. Life was perfect, and yet they still looked for more. Satan's questions are built upon our desire for more. They're built upon our desire for more. And we know that we are all capable of giving into it. Contentment is probably the most pursued after, most chased after thing in our world, especially in America. Did God really say you shall not eat from, from any tree in the garden? Behind this demonic lie is the question, is God withholding something good from you? Wonder, does the same question burn behind the questions that you and I ask? Is God withholding something good from me? I mean, here we know the answer. It's, it's easy. No, of course not. We know he's not. Here we know all our lives he's been faithful. All our lives he has been so, so good. His word repeatedly, it presents God as a good God. See here, we know things like Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in what? Goodness. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Good. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is what? He's good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. And we know from James 1, 17 that our good God never changes. Friends, Satan loves to get us to question if he does. Is God withholding something good from you? No. Absolutely not. He loves you enough to give his son to die in your place. And his love is unconditional. His love is sacrificial. I mean, you think about it. You and I are the ones that are gaining from, from Jesus' sacrifice. Heaven will be more tainted, more scarred, because we are there. But God offers it to us through his son because he loves us. He gains a bunch of sinners, and we gain eternal life because of his goodness and because of his love. You know, our, our kids would love to eat candy for every meal of the day. My kids would love to eat McDonald's for every meal of the day. But as parents, we know that's not good. And in the same way, sometimes God the Father puts restrictions on us. There are a couple reasons why. Here in Genesis 3, one reason is because God might withhold something you think is good because he knows it's not. You can write that down. God might withhold something you think is good because he knows it's not. See, our God, he knows the outcome. He knows where everything will lead. He knows how one choice will affect another. We may think it's good, but he knows it's not because he can see everything, all of human history in one single moment. Another reason that we see here in Genesis 3 
he might withhold something that we think is good is because of consequences of our sin. See, as, as people, we tend to live like we want to live. We tend to make the choices that make our lives better, even if only temporarily. We like to indulge in whatever we want, and then we like to expect God to bless our lives. I've talked to many people. Even if we're living completely outside of his will, we, we, think, we think we deserve that God will just bless our like as if God owes us something. Listen, God does not owe us anything. Whether we're living in his will or out of his will. There are promises in his word that we can claim, but he does not owe us anything. We see throughout scripture, sin has consequences. It did for Adam and Eve. It did for David and Bathsheba. Sin has consequences for us as well. And we cannot expect God to bless a life of rebellion. But as his children, if we know him, we can't expect his discipline. Hebrews 12, 6. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. But listen, in that discipline, he always offers mercy. Here in Genesis 3, we see that God made a a covering for Adam and Eve. Blood was spilt. It's a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus would would eventually make on the cross. See, God is always offering mercy. He's always pointing us to Jesus, even in the consequences of our sin. They are designed to get us to come back to him. And so if you find yourself here this morning with questions about the goodness of God, you may need to stop having conversations with the devil. I mean, seriously. You may need to have, start having more conversations with Jesus. You need to claim the promise of James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And If you're tempted to ask if God is withholding something good for you from you, a better question is this, Lord, is there anything in my life that I've, I've caused this? Is there any sin in my life, in my heart, that I need to confess? And secondly, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Those are, those are tough questions. Those are harder to ask questions than, God, are you withholding something good for me? But they're, the, they're the ones that we need to come to. So the first question in the Bible, it it questions God's goodness. We'll come back to Genesis 3 before we close. Turn over to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. The book of Psalms is uh, full of questions. And one thing that I like about Psalms is that it shows us that we can ask God hard questions. These burning questions. It's okay to ask them. Because our God is big enough to handle them. The first question in the book is found in verse 1 of chapter 2. And it's a question that is still relevant today. It's number 2 on your outline. It's a question of God's sovereignty. A question of God's sovereignty. Now sovereignty is complete control. And look what it says in Psalm 2.1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Now, just so you know, the, the word for rage, it means tumultuous or, or commotion. And, and a, a vain thing is, is defined as empty with, with no purpose. I mean, it, it's a valid question, even in our context today. It could have been written to us a week ago. 
even though it was written thousands of years ago? Why is there such commotion among the nations? Why do people imagine things with no purpose? God, are you seeing all of this? God, are you still in control like you say you are? Have you ever asked those heavy questions? Verses 2 and 3 give us the answer. It's because the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Notice that word anointed there in verse 2. It is Messiah, or from where we get our word, Messiah. See, Psalm 2 is a, is a messianic psalm in that it points forward to the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And so we ask it in our language today, why is the world so messed up? Why don't people have any purpose? Because they have set themselves against Jesus, the Messiah, and said, we don't need your rules, we don't need your restraints, we don't need your guidance anymore. The Apostle Paul quoted this psalm in Acts 13. And in the context there of God's word, uh, he's speaking of the, the cycle of rebellion in Israel's history. After God brought them out of Egypt in such a powerful way, they complained, they grumbled. And so they ended up, they didn't take God at his word, they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. After they did inherit the promised land, they still rebelled. Then God sent judges, and if a good judge was in, in power, they would follow their lead. But when that judge died, they would fall away and fall away from, from the Lord and pursue worldly things. A, a 450-year cycle. Eventually they decided they didn't want God as their leader. They wanted a king, and so God gave them Paul, excuse me, Saul, and then David. And, and the point of Paul's message there in Acts 13 is that from David came the Messiah, the one whom the Old Testament had been pointing toward all along. The one who gives us purpose. The one who came to fix what's messed up inside of us. And so the first question in Psalms points us to Jesus, the Messiah. It points us to the Messiah. And so if you're here this morning and you're asking some of the same burning questions, why is my life so messed up? Why don't I have purpose? These are the right questions to ask if you will accept the right answer to them. Could it be because of your cycle of rebellion? Is it because you've tried to fix yourself on your own when only Jesus can? It's because of your need for Jesus. And I am sure that if you're here today and you don't know him, that he has been drawing you to a relationship with him for quite some time. Do you hear his voice? What if today you turn to him? What if today you turn back to him? The last verse of Psalm 2 gives us a promise. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Is God sovereign over all? He absolutely is. And he sent Jesus to prove it. So we see Satan asked the wrong question in Genesis 3 questioning God's goodness. The first question in Psalms points us to Jesus. The first question in the New Testament is the same, and it's found in Matthew chapter 2, 
Number three on your outline, it's the question of God's promise. The question of God's promise. Matthew 2, 1, 1 and 2. Now, Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, here it is, where is he born king of the Jews? For we have seen in the east and have come to worship him. Where is the king of the Jews? Research tells us that these wise men were part of a, a respected group of astrologers who studied old writings and they studied the skies to tell information about the future. They probably had the, the book of Daniel, the same book that we have. From the Old Testament in, in uh, verse 6 of Matthew 2. Both of these books, they tell of this king of the Jews who is Jesus. So they followed the star to find him. Through all their studies, through all of their asking questions, they knew that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of the Old Testament promises of God. And that's why they knew to come to Bethlehem. Look at verse 6. When Herod asked them to go, go back and where they were going to go look for the king, they said to this, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, the wise men knew what we know to be true as well. Over and over and over again, Jesus fulfills the promises of God. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets, Jesus said. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And by their question, where is the king of the Jews? We see that these wise men had a relentless pursuit of Jesus. And I wonder, do we live our lives like that? Each and every morning, we should be getting up and asking, okay, Where's the king? Lord, I want to spend time with you today. God, I want to, I want to go deeper in my, my faith. I want to get to know you better. Lord, show me the king. But that probably doesn't describe most of us. I wonder if, if this story was, were written about us, what would be our question? Okay, where's the next dollar? That's what I'm going to live my life for. Where's the next high? Where's the next whatever? Where's the next relationship? Where's the next thing that I'm going to try to find fulfillment? What question does your life ask? Where is the king? It should be the one that we're asking. It's a question that asks God to fulfill his promises. We look to so many other things, but only Jesus fulfills. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and in him amen to the glory of God the Father. And so the answer to the burning question of God's promise is Jesus. So we'll end where we started, back in Genesis 3. We've already seen Satan's question, now notice God's questions. Number four on your outline. After Adam and Eve sinned, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? See, these are the questions that God asks us. Where are you? See, he's, he's looking for you. He wants to walk with you. It doesn't mean that life with him is easy. It just means that we, we're able to handle it differently. So many of us are hiding from God, just like Adam and Eve did. Are you hiding from God because of sin? He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to cleanse you and make you whole. Are you hiding from God because of the conversations that you've had with the devil? Instead of having conversations with Jesus, we weren't designed to have conversations with the devil. Satan wants us to question God's character and his goodness. He wants us to believe his lies. He wants us to live in shame. I wonder how many does Satan have exactly where he wants us? Where are you? That's the first question that God asks. The second one is, who told you that you were naked? For us, it could be, who told you you couldn't be alone? Who told you that you would be alone even if you didn't have somebody with you? Who told you that the bottle was going to help? Who told you that more was going to be enough? Who told you you were worthless? Who told you you were a failure? Who told you that God, the Father, was going to be just like your earthly father? Who told you that your sin was okay? Who told you that God can't and or won't forgive you? Who told you that you can't forgive somebody else? The answer to these questions and so many more is Satan. See, friends, we all believe lies from time to time. When we believe these lies, we question God's goodness, we question his sovereignty, we question his promises. So I wonder if your life has been burning with these questions about God. Are you asking the right ones? Do you need to change the questions you're asking? As our musicians come and we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? This is just a time that we like to reflect on what the Lord has said to us. We believe that, that God speaks more well beyond what the messenger says. That's his Holy Spirit. That's the power of his word. So what has God said to you today? And maybe more importantly, what are you going to do about it?